Hello and welcome to episode 191 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelley. Today on the podcast, we take a surreal odyssey to the countryside to try and come to terms with our grief in our review of Alex Garland's Men. But first, how are you, Scott? Scott, I gotta say, I'm just gonna sort of half start jumping into my review about this. I was doing a lot better before I saw this movie. I'm gonna be really honest. Um, Man, you this know, one really I, did a number on you. <laughs> I no, it it really did. I mean, I was messaging you last night, last night, Scott. Like, I was like, I sort of like walked out of this movie in a bit of a daze, and I've I've honestly felt a little bit off kilter since I saw this movie and not from like a, Oh wow. it's just wowed by this film. I'll, I'll let you know that much a little tease of what I think of this movie later on, but I feel like I'm like trying to snap out of it. I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a weird mood right now. I'm not going to lie. Interesting. I mean, I could definitely see that for somebody who like maybe doesn't have as much experience with Garland and stuff like that. I, I definitely think that they could, that could be their reaction, but yeah, um, maybe this is a different flavor even for him. And we can talk. I mean, about I think that so. Perhaps, but, but, yeah, we'll yeah. get into that. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I saw it last night as well. Didn't have quite the impact on me. What I tell you what did have the impact on me though, was that I went this afternoon to see rear window at the, yeah. Um, Alamo Draft House. Of course, have seen it many times before. One of sure. my favorite films, but have never seen it on the big screen before. And that was a fantastic experience. Yeah. Seemed like there were some people, quite a few people in the theater who had maybe never seen it before. And so getting their reactions and everything was awesome. It was just awesome to see so many people, you know, reacting to a 60, 70 year old movie now, um, like it had just come out yesterday. I mean, that's um, the great God, thing about yeah. Alamo. I mean, God, God bless them. I mean, I've seen yeah. some of old movies for the first time there, and it's it's a real treat to get to see them for the first time on the big screen. Yeah, there were two women sitting next to me. I mean, they were older, too. But after the uh, movie ended, one of them, the one turned to the other and said, well, I like this one more than Vertigo. Um, so they uh, maybe had been making the rounds, but I guess I'd never seen these uh these Hitchcock classics before, which was interesting. But I mean, uh, I had I had never seen Vertigo, and I saw it for the first time at Alamo about a month ago. I've seen Rear Window though, um, Vertigo, yeah. and inferior these, to to Rear Window. The, these ladies had thirty years on each other. That was kind of the surprising part sure. about it. But, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I'm you know inferior. Sure, I guess I I enjoyed Rear Window more, but I still think Vertigo is brilliant. So uh, I I don't know. It just feels. Um, a little it goes off the say, deep end and to the, say that maybe at the end for me but sure um, um i know I, anyway, not everyone feels that way i understand rear window definitely one of those movies that holds up even if you don't watch a lot of classic films i think this is one that you know you can certainly uh one of the most accessible ones to uh you know modern audience nowadays for sure like especially the last 20 minutes or so um you know vertigo might not stick the landing for you but rear window arguably only gets better as it goes along and um, oh I, I agree and yeah. so strongly um with that really really suspenseful last last act there so yeah fantastic film if for some reason you haven't seen it um you know maybe see if it's see it playing at your local theater anytime soon because the theater experience was great too but um it's just a great movie however you can see it Anyway, Scott, as mentioned, our film today is Men, the first film from director Alex Garland since 2018's Annihilation. Men opens with Harper Marlowe, played by Jesse Buckley, arriving at a beautiful castle in the English, English countryside, which, which she has rented out for the weekend from its peculiar owner, a fussy man named Jeffrey, played by Rory Kinnear. 
we soon learn that Harper's sojourn is not simply a relaxing vacation, but an escape from the real world, where Harper is still dealing with the trauma of losing her husband, James, played by Papa Esidu, to suicide. Harper's hopes for peace and quiet, however, are soon spoiled when she encounters a mysterious nude man that appears to be following her around the small village surrounding the castle. Exploring the village further, she also encounters several other men, all of them also played by Kinnear, and through her interactions with these men, begins to wonder if her nightmare is only just beginning. Scott, that's all I really want to say up front for fear of spoiling anything, but suffice it to say that Men is yet another cerebral mind-bender from the man behind Ex Machina and Annihilation. But does Garland's third effort firmly establish him as one of our premier auteurs, or does Men's extended allegory only go as deep as its straightforward title suggests? Yeah, more of the latter for me, no doubt on this one. It does not cement Alex Garland as a bulletproof film director in my book, you know, I, I know that, I mean, Ex Machina has sort of been the one that received all the praise. I thought Annihilation was great. I think we were pro-Annihilation in this parish. Definitely. Um, not in an agreement there. I see. Great. Yep. We're very, very pro that. But then, I mean, we can, I mean, Devs is just a, a longer movie, I guess. I thought Devs was a bit of a, a misstep by him. I know I'm in the minority, I think, in that respect. It still definitely has like the sort of deep, cerebral sci-fi element to it gets probably more philosophical than the other than his first two films and this even even from that i mean it's still in it's still in that flavored sort of thriller horror genre which i think he's always dabbled in i really think that this is this is a step divergent from the path he was on though not just in terms of quality because i do think this film isn't that great uh but also thematically i, I think that Frankly, I find Alex Garland movies to be very thought-provoking, very, I mean, I mentioned already cerebral um, in a positive way. I think that it really gives you a lot to to chew on and think about. I just don't think this film does at all. I don't think that there's anything to think about with this movie. I mean, maybe I'm just being, I don't know, maybe I'm just being sort of stupid by like just looking at the obvious. Like, I can't tell if there's anything deeper um, than the surface on this film. It, it seems pretty obvious what this film is about and what it's trying to say. And even with what I think is another sort of on par Jesse Buckley performance, because I think she's, she's really good in this for me. I think she's like the one positive that I point out in the movie. I just don't think this movie is able to be salvaged because I, I kind of, I guess I'll even back up and say, I actually liked the sort of, I would say the first 20 minutes are like textbook Garland. Like it's, there's a soothing element in spite of like the, the tension that he consistently builds throughout his movies. It's one of the, like the, one, one of the things I think just makes annihilation just so breathtaking of a film is that there's just this sort of like embracing of the unknown and this sort of like soothing cerebralness of the way he shoots his movies and the way he frames them. Um, but like pretty much everything after the first 20 minutes, I just did not connect with on any level in this film. It didn't seem like I mentioned particularly deep. The allegory seems pretty surface level. And although he may not be wrong, <laughs> um, I just I just don't know if it's saying anything interesting. There's a there's like a like I don't even want to call it a twist, but there is like sort of a, a final moment at the end of the movie, which I just think is like so obvious coming coming to me. I mean, maybe I was just kind of sort of fixated on it, but I just like totally saw the last note this film ends on um, and the point it was trying to make. Like I thought it telegraphed it decently well. 
um, in the in the final act. I just like didn't find it impactful at all. I I felt like if that last scene had had hit in a more meaningful way, it might have it might have been elevated a little bit. But even even that, I think it just sort of felt like. I mean, Jesse Buckley sighs and says, "Yeah," at the end of the movie, and I'm like, "That's sort of how I felt at the end of the film." Yeah, I mean that man, man. Yeah, um, I didn't hate the film. I do think there are things that I, you know, admire, if not love, about it. Um, however, it is uh, no uh, exaggeration to say that this is a very big disappointment. I mean, this movie was in my top five uh, most anticipated for the year when we did that episode. Um, so I was definitely let down by it for many of the same reasons that I think you were, um, you know, I think that the movie starts out pretty, pretty strong. Like I, I liked the way that the atmosphere was building. Um, you know, I, even throughout the entire movie, I was like, I was pretty on the edge of my seat, like trying to find out exactly what was going on. Um, I just think, you know, as we start to actually reveal what is going on, um, I was like, huh, okay, uh, because it was kind of, you know, like you said, very surface level, I think. The turning point for me is really there's a scene with the priest, um, mm -hmm. which is Rory, you know, Rory Kinnear, obviously. He plays all and of they Sorry, they have spoilers. A he, plays every, he plays everyone in this in this movie, pretty much. They, uh, they have a conversation in the garden, and I was yep. like, oh, wow, is that really all this movie is trying to do? Um, and, you know, I have thought about it recently, too. Uh, really, I was thinking about it at Sun when we were watching Sundance movies. Um, I'm really getting tired of horror movies about women being psychologically tortured and gender dynamics kind of having a role in that. Like, there have just been so many of them, it feels like, over the last few years. And this is another example. I mean, for example, at Sundance, I mean, we watched Watcher and Resurrection, which you could say both fall in that camp. Um, and it just feels like there's nothing new left to say about this sort of thing. Or if there is, the movies that are coming out are not safe. Tapping into it. Yeah, they're not um, tapping into that. I mean, I you know, I'll go back to an example just because it's another A24 horror film. But Midsommar, to me, is like, you know, maybe the definitive text on this sort of thing. Um, and I just find it's covering, honestly, it's covering a lot of similar topics to men, but it's doing it with so much more nuance than the dialogue in particular in men. As I mean, you know, like the scene I'm talking about in the garden, I mean, he just comes out and says like, well, you know, you're the one who basically caused your husband to commit suicide. And yeah, well, you know, I, aren't you, aren't you sat, saddled with guilt about this? And can I, can I respond to that? Sorry, just sure. quickly. I do think the end of the movie layers on a different text or like it, it layers on a different interpretation to like all the scenes, especially that one. But I think all that one where it's it's her per, like, I mean, it, it's supposed to be her ex-husband, right? Like, that's what it's ultimately supposed to be about. So it's like all these internal guilt and stuff like that. And. And I mean, the way I read that, I mean, that was actually the first conversation that I would say made me think like, oh, is this going in a direction where it's like she's having this sort of like psychological break where it's like her husband mm -hmm. or whatever. And I and I think that's how I read that. But I don't think that it, so like maybe I read it a little bit more generously than maybe you are. But at the same time, like 
one of the things that I think is so great about Ex Machina Annihilation is that like talking about the like how the movies develop, how the scenes develop or whatever, like that's a really great and fun, interesting conversation to have. Like Annihilation, one of my favorite episodes of the podcast that we've done, just because I think that Garland, like that movie is so interesting to talk about how things develop in the film. There's nothing interesting in my opinion, in my in my opinion, talking about how this movie develops. Like I like the first half hour. Like I'm, I'm kind of in your boat. Like I was kind of like, okay, this is like creepy, whatever. There's like some really creepy elements to it. But like once it starts getting like the the multiverse of Kinnear, like different Kinnears in this movie, I just, I just, I just was totally disengaged from the film. Um, it just, I just didn't connect with it. So I, I give it a little. I think it's saying something a little bit more interesting than like men bad, like men bad. Because oh, I, mean, I agree it, with that. It's yeah. playing. It's on, about the cyclical you know n nature of it to some extent and also but also for me like i don't even know that that totally hit home like ultimately what i got out of it like in the final moments is like this sort of toxic masculinity and gaslighting and emotional abuse and all of this stuff that she went through with her husband it manifests itself in different ways which is not super revelatory to me again like all of the men are that we see in the movie are doing it but they're doing it in different ways like we have like the little yeah kid who is just calling her a stupid bitch and then we have the you know the priest doing what he's doing um we have the nude man who is quite literally like physically stalking her and harassing her that way um i, I guess i'm just i'm the where i mean maybe the one point of contention maybe this is making it a more interesting conversation than i thought it was going to be is that like i don't i'm having a hard time reading it as like all men or whatever. I think there's different different ways you could look at it. So maybe we're getting into a more interesting conversation. Maybe this is being salvaged for me. But like I'm like is the movie saying that all men are the same like this or is it saying more about like the trauma that you experience with a particular man than like it's projected onto like your own psyche and it sticks with you even as you try to escape it. I got I don't know. Like I don't I, I get the, the problem is like maybe that's more interesting but I don't even know if I like care to have that conversation cuz I think both things are true. I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess if that's the case, I just don't know why you show all these different forms of it, right? Because I don't think her husband was, you know, running around naked or anything in their yard, like terrorizing her in that way. So, but I think I the, the like, idea of stalking, though, is. But I don't I mean, think there's you don't any... see him stalking, but like he's being yeah. persistent in a way that she wants him to stop in the flashbacks. I, again, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I don't even I don't even know who's right, who's wrong. Maybe we're both right. Maybe we're both wrong. Like, I don't even know. I honestly, I don't even care that much. I just think that it's. It, like, I don't know what like, what does it say if we it, between these two different reads of the film? Like, I, I guess my reads like a little bit more interesting than, than the like, like sort of blanket. You know, you see the same behavior from men everywhere. I just don't know why you cast Rory Kinnear in all the roles. If you're trying to say all men are like that, like they could have just had different actors play the different people and just be shitty to her. Like, but they're still all very different. I mean, even though it's him, it's like, and maybe that's, maybe that's the point is like, you know, they dress it up, you know, you can dress it up different, right? Like he can be a, a kid mm -hmm. or whatever it, you know, he's has this long hair and he's playing a priest. You know, he's a nude guy with a scar on his face and whatnot. Um, you sure. can, you know, part things can look different about the, the person, but like yeah. there's still this essential element of like toxicity or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That 
is present in all of them and which is also established by the fact that they're all played by the same actor but yeah no that, I, I, think know, that's a fair, I think that's working point. backwards from i mean th this is the thing right like i think this is a more interesting conversation than i expected to have about this movie but even that like listen to you like i don't even care like it doesn't even matter to me yeah i don't know i, I mean i don't I don't think it's that interesting conversation. I mean, we have, you know, we, yeah. we have a, maybe a slight disagreement about, but like, I don't think either Reed makes this a better film. That's the like, point. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. But anyway, like, I just don't think there's very much nuance to it whatsoever. And we're all, we're also not really talking about the fact that this is like a biblical allegory. Right. Um, and maybe that feeds into oh God, my a biblical, sorry. What's theory. the biblical allegory? I missed this. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, she takes the forbidden fruit off of the tree and eats it in the very beginning. Quite literally, what Eve does in the Garden of Eden, and well, you know, the rest of the movie not, is not about her. Yeah. Her except, well, sure, whatever. Well, but no, no, because the, Eve is like knows that she's not supposed to eat it before. She doesn't. Yeah, know yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. But any anyway, the point is, it's for me at least. I I read some element of like ever since the garden of eden right women have been made to accept blame for things that you know are really the fault of men or that are not really the fault of of them you know you get what i'm saying like sure eve eats the apple or whatever but she is led there by her husband in um the bible and yet eve is often seen like historically as like the temptress or whatever who well she's um, the one that was, offers the fruit the to him right root, the root of all evil right 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 right, right. Okay. um yes so she is seen as like the root of all evil um and even though you know of course it's much more complex and layered than that um and you know the same situation kind of that harper faces here right which is that again she's being blamed for her husband killing himself like um basically she or she you know is blaming herself perhaps but either way um society is playing some role in it obviously and you know it, it's not why did her husband do this and and it's not looking at the harassment that he was obviously projecting towards her and that we clearly see in the movie but it's you know you led him to do this and you know don't you feel bad about it now and um it, shouldn't you just have forgiven him right um if you had just forgiven him it might have been different for you know he just it was just a slap right he just hit you it wasn't the end of the world um yeah these are all the points that get brought up in this conversation so that's why i i've seen some comparisons to like darren aronofsky's mother which obviously was a big biblical allegory as well um and i think those are for in that regard at least it's a good comparison um but again not anything super revelatory to me like if, if you're gonna literally have her eat an apple off a tree and have rory kinnear say oh it's the a forbidden, forbidden fruit, fruit. like yeah. don't you think you're waving your hand a little bit there like from the very beginning of the movie about what you're trying to do i feel like i, I would have yes i definitely it's pretty on the nose in that scene the thing is like i just didn't track any of that through the rest of the film like that's why i didn't even react to it when you said there was because like what's it trying i don't know Maybe I'm being dumb about this, but like, it doesn't seem like a very good one if it is. I mean, I don't think it's good either. Again, I think it's just kind of like trying to connect the like. So, again, I th I think there is some level yeah. of 
trying to show that like the this toxic masculinity and all this is cyclical right and it's over right. generations i mean the yeah. rory kinnears that we see are all different ages and so if we're going along with that then it it would play into that to say literally this goes back into what some people what some believe to be the beginning of time right the garden of eden the very first human beings sure. and what do we get out of this story the same thing that we're still getting out of these stories nowadays so what is where is rory kinnear supposed to be adam or the devil like what is he supposed to be both well i mean i i, I mean i didn't think too much i didn't think that far into it but okay. like I, I don't know if you need to think that far into it again. I don't I don't know if what yeah. role exactly he's meant to occupy in the allegory. Again, I think the point is that she takes the forbidden fruit, she eats it, um, and just like Eve did, and ends up accepting the blame for things that aren't really her fault um, from these other men, whoever they may be. Like I, you know, in the Bible, it's Adam, but also like again, th through history, looking you know, looking back at the Bible, there are still plenty of people, and it's probably still taught in Sunday schools and churches and things that like Eve was the one who messed up, right? Uh, yeah. In the Garden of Eden. So, is this weird to say? I feel like Ex Machina is a better biblical allegory than this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, I mean, it's definitely not a good biblical allegory again, but like, I just like, if you're trying to do a it is, I hear, I, do, I, do, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I they're like literally in a garden a, and you know, yeah. if, if you're trying to make a biblical allegory, like Kinnear's got to be someone in that allegory, <laughs> even if I he's mean, like I, everyone else. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. I think he is just like the projection of various men who throughout time, throughout the generations have everyone's like adam and adam is dirt <laughs> in different ways yeah you know abused sure. emotionally abused gaslit been toxic towards women i think that's the read that i have yeah. of the whole thing but i don't think yeah that no I, I hear you interesting read it's not interesting to me because it feels so loose like what tempts her into eating like there's no temptation she just walks up and this. eats the fruit like yeah Maybe the message is that like it doesn't actually that like maybe it's saying the Bible is like tries to portray women in a bed. I don't know. Interesting. Maybe like the actual. I, I, I don't know that. It, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also a weird thing that happens with the priest, right? Where sure towards the, the second time we see him, all of a sudden, I mean, it, maybe this is the the temptress angle or whatever comes in, right? Because he's he's basically saying that That's he gets true. sexually tempted her by yeah. by her yeah. and. I didn't think that that was set up like super well. Um, I was like, I was kind of when it seemed that very happened, lazy. I was kind of just like, where is this coming from? Like, okay, he puts his hand on her leg or whatever when they're in the garden, but like, I didn't take that as like a, oh, he's he's sexually tempted by her right now. And well, I definitely took it as he, like a sexual move, to be honest. But I took yeah, it. I I don't even know that I went that far. But anyway, it still feels I just think like it's the stereotypes out. around priests right now. I think it uh, that's why I read it that way. Yeah, maybe. I feel I still feel like it comes out a little out of nowhere that he goes in this whole monologue about like I don't think it's good accusing, yeah, I agree her, with you. accusing her of like being a harlot and whatnot. But maybe that's where again the biblical allegory waving your hand a little bit. Um like sure it is he's quite literally saying he was tempted by her, which is what people have accused Eve. Which of I guess that would so. make that would make him Adam, I guess. Right? I mean I, 
sure. Various iterations. If we're going to draw it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but yeah, um, you know, we've, we've talked about it, but I, I don't think that it makes it any, I still don't think it makes it any more interesting, even if maybe we've come to any sort of new revelations about this. Like, we, we've milked it for more than I thought it was worth. I don't say that much. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's an odd film for sure. And the, you know, the ending, it feels like he's trying to recapture something from Annihilation, right? Annihilation has like the, you know, weird silver character and everything in the very end who's, um, the alien, you know, has the alien. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it just kind of makes it more interesting and thought provoking and complex in the end. Totally. Whereas this movie is like, we're going to show you some similarly weird stuff, <laughs> but it just is kind of weird for the sake of being weird. And the weird stuff here thought, obviously yeah. is like the various men played by birthing. Rory Kinnear. Yeah. Cyclically birthing. I mean, that's the generational aspect that you're talking about for sure. Yes, exactly. Um, until eventually they birth out James, her husband. And there's that final moment, which you've mentioned of sort of, you know, coming to term. I guess it's her coming to terms with it finally. And then the movie ends. Um, well, what is she, what is she coming to terms with? The fact that men suck. I don't know. Like, that's my thing. Like, what is she coming to terms? What, yeah. what is she sighing at and saying yes to at the end? Be, because I mean, yeah, like, I guess she's, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, but I mean, the, I'm, yeah. the preceding line, right. Is her, is him saying, Oh, he did it all out of love, obviously, which is classic, like, you know, toxic language, classic abuser language. Oh, yeah. Abusive language. Check. Yeah. And then she just sighs and says, yeah, classic Will Smith language, honestly, is what it was, but <laughs> you're, I mean, no, life <laughs> they, it's literally what he said. I mean, I'm, you know, love makes you whatever. do crazy things um and she's just like yeah um so i don't know if that's her like she's finally over it or is it her like acknowledging that this is just always going to be something i'm going to have to deal with and i'm just going to have to learn to live with it i i don't really know i don't think it's clear um couldn't tell you but yeah should we talk about what I think we could probably say is the best thing in the movie, which is Jesse Buckley's performance? Um, Credits. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Scott? No, I thought she was great. I mean, I, I, she's still undefeated in my book. I haven't seen her in anything. I, I haven't thought that she performed very strongly. And even though I maybe she should stop doing these like surrealist wacko movies, in my opinion, getting some better movies, Jesse. Um, but I still think she's doing she's performing well uh, in those films. Um, I'll go with you as far as this movie, but not the other one that you're referring to, of course. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I knew you wouldn't be on board for that one, but it's how I feel. Um, <laughs> Je- yeah, look, I think she, I think she's really good. She just has this like this knack, this like it, it just seems like almost effortless ability to just put so much, just like umph behind everything she does. If that's like, I don't even know a better way to describe it. Like she just really, she commits. I feel like she gives it a hundred percent, and I think you can really feel that in the performance. And the range that she's able to tap into between, you know, in the just in the one scene or whatever with the priest, right? Like I think I feel like there's so many ways to overdo that scene as as you know the woman in that scene. But I feel like you just get a really nuanced range of emotions from her. It starts out as this, you know, she's she's felt comfortable. She starts to open up. She's confused, and then she's rageful at the end. And I I just thought that that scene sort of really. If I had to pick one moment that she really shows off her 
range and ability and why she's just one of the best out there right now. I think that's it. I think she just does a wonderful job. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I agree. I think she's just, she's a powerful screen presence, which I yeah, think is what 100%. you're alluding to. And like some of the flashback scenes and stuff too, like, uh, again, I think there definitely could have been like overacting or anything like that. There could have been the tendency, but like, you know, when sure. they're screaming at each other, basically. Um, yeah. But I think she just, you know, fully sells it as like, she's this, this tortured woman who is just trying to resist um the very you know honestly horrific kind of emotional abuse that her husband is starting to project on her um you know i i bought it i didn't feel like she was acting with a capital a in in these moments so yeah i mean uh you know she's if not my favorite actress right now very very close um and even though i wasn't crazy about the movie it doesn't you know take her stat stature down a peg for me at all because i think she's definitely the best thing in it scott we mentioned rory kinnear what do you think about his his you know obviously varied performances um as these various mm -hmm. characters he's mainly known for being a stage actor um but recently has you know come to to light in a few more films um what do you think about his performance here i liked it a lot and i think that you can really feel his presence as like a as like someone who is more well versed in the stage something like when you watch him in like the because he's in he's in at least one of the bond movies right if not multiple yes he? he's in uh yeah is he skyfall right or specter which one i think i think he plays tanner in quantum of solace and skyfall and specter and i think no time to die i think he's in i just see him about I, it, yeah all i i can just hear him calling him mum or whatever yeah 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 so like the, obviously those movies like obviously you'd have no idea that he was primarily known for being a stage actor but i think it's a quality that really comes out in this role because he has to play so many different characters and i think as a part of that there is like more capital a acting required and that's not even i don't even think that's a negative thing about this performance um but like the the one like the main like the main roy kinnear character that i forget jeffrey yeah jeffrey like that, I think that was that sort of like character requires a lot. I feel like, um, you know, even Je Jesse Buckley's on the phone after, right, with her friend and be like, yeah, he's a real character. And it, he is like, he, I think it requires a lot. And then you get the range of of this different these different men that he's playing. And I think it's a solid performance. Again, it's not from a lack of quality in the performance department for me. Um, it's vision and execution is the problem in this film. Yeah, I mean. I think that Jeffrey character, like you said, is important because he's kind of like the wolf in sheep's clothing uh, a little bit because he, he doesn't give off the same outwardly repulsive vibe that all these other men eventually give him. You know, he's a little bit of an oddball and whatnot. But, you know, he comes to the house, he investigates. He's not like doubting really her story, um, at least at first, about um, the nude man who's running around and whatnot. Um, but eventually, obviously, we see the sinister side come out of him, too. And he's eventually just obviously re revealed as a another projection of her husband. So maybe, you know, the more sensitive side of him or something. But um, I, th I still think it's an important character. And um, yeah, he gives he gives a good performance overall. The child is very uncanny valley. The de-aging and everything that they did. Awful. There was, Probably. Yeah. 
everyone talks bad. about Tarkin or whatever in Rogue One. This is this is way worse than that, in my opinion. And I know the movie is trying to be unsettling, but that was unsettling in a way that I don't think it was intending. So, yeah, I mean, maybe um, I'm wrong. Maybe it did mean to do that. I just like I can't imagine that they meant it, meant it to be like that. Like, oh, man. I, I mean, I joked with you after I walked out, I was like, that was almost more gasp worthy than anything else in the film for me when you see when he takes off the mask for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised they got away with an R rating on this, to be honest. Yes, a hundred percent. I cannot believe stuff is like, that. what in the world or, you know, what, what do you have to do to get an NC 17? Uh, like pleasure, I guess. I guess it's not even rated though. It's not even NC 17. It's just not rated. Well, they probably just didn't accept the didn't rating bother because it. yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it would have been an NC 17 or yeah, I guess they did. They could have not submitted it, but, um, yeah, uh, I mean, you, you always have the option to release your film as unrated, from what I understand. Um, you know, you don't have to accept the NC-17 or whatever, but obviously it limits the audience you can reach, but NC-17 does anyway. Anyway, watch the documentary. This film is not yet rated. It's really interesting. Uh, more interesting than this movie, in my opinion. Uh, Scott, anything else that we want to add? What about like the technical, the music, I feel like was a bit of a mixed bag for me. It was a little overbearing at times. Um, like and another just kind of like oh it's weird isn't this weird like it doesn't this make the situation so much weirder that like we have like i like the first scene of her walk you know from the trailer with her like in the long tunnel basically where she makes all these sounds that eventually sort of create this cascading um you know music in a way i, I loved that scene yeah yeah i think that's a really i think that's a really good scene and, but then they come back and keep using like the motif there from the, the screen, the, yeah. the tunnel. Yeah. Like the, and I don't know, it just, it took me out of it a little bit sometimes and not, not in the way that it, it was hoping to, I think it was just a little like, are, we're just going to make you feel weird. We're just going to shock you now. I like, I hate saying that because I feel like, you know, a lot of movies that people would say, Oh, this is just weird. Like, there's actually a lot more going on and we've talked about what is going on here, but I do feel like maybe this is the rare example where I didn't feel like a whole lot of purpose behind some of Yeah. The, I mean, that's the thing, unquote, right? Like there can be more elements. going on, but it can just not be good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Anything else to add here, Scott? I uh, did not enjoy this film. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a disappointment. It's probably my biggest disappointment of a movie since last night in Soho, I would have to say. Um, that was probably the most disappointing one last year. I, I mean, there are probably more things I liked about this movie than last night in Soho, but it's still not not a good movie. And and they have similar issues where it's like the messaging gets really muddled. But Well, maybe not muddled. Maybe here it's just too not muddled i don't know it's too strict too on the nose uh, like we were saying but anyway that's i think thematically both of those films fail and that's why they were big letdowns for me but um look if we're talking body horror i i still have hope that we're going to get a great body horror film this year and that it is coming out in just a few weeks hopefully um i i'm i'm very much hoping that we've gotten the one disappointment from my most anticipated films list out of the way um, with with men. So um, 
nobody else is going to let me down. I mean, there's no way that Scorsese is going to let me down with Flower Moon. So at least I have that to hold on to. But um, we will see, I guess. Crimes of the future in just a few weeks. Scott, what's your favorite scene or moment from Men? Yeah, I mean, you just touched on it towards the end there. I think my favorite, you know, scene is probably the cave. Like, it's like a tunnel, I guess. It's not a cave, I guess. It's the, it's the train tunnel where she is making the, you know, making the echoes. Um, I, like I was saying at the beginning, I think that there's a real, the strangeness of Garland is that I think in, in everything, he's able to make a lot of, create a lot of really soothing moments amongst the tension and the horror in his films. And there's just some, there's some element of that that I, I can't not sort of just love about his movies. And I think that that is the best example. There's something just very organically pure about this, you know, woman seeking recovery from trauma and, you know, finding this little bit of natural, like, I don't even know, like peace, I guess is the right way to describe it. I felt there were moments of that sort of stitched into both Ex Machina and Annihilation and even Debs. Something that Garland's really good at, I think, and I really enjoyed that scene. I mentioned Midsommar earlier. I do feel like tonally there's some similarities too. And like, there's like some actually kind of comedic moments at times, like some darkly comedic moments that come up uh, sometimes in men and um, in the sure. same way that they do in Midsommar. Um, men can be funny. One, one example is when the second time that the nude man comes to her home and, and he is outside the the castle and she doesn't realize it. And there's a whole sequence of her like walking around. Yeah. She's well framed her friend. Yeah. And we see him in the background the whole time, but like, you know, he's, he's just, uh, they're just avoiding each other basically until finally they aren't. Um, and it is kind of funny the moment when she just finally sees him there. Um, so I thought that that was well done. And again, I was kind of like, I was definitely like gripping my seat a little bit, like, what's going to happen when she finally sees him or whatever. I thought that that was, yeah, it's, it's a well staged sequence. Um, but again, early in the film, kind of before it goes off the rails for me. All right. Put a score on it, Scott. Oh man, you're going to make me score this thing. Um, five. I don't know. Really? I thought you were going to come out lower than me. <laughs> I'm going with a 4.5 on this. Uh, I didn't really care for it. Um, you know, I, it, see it i guess if you're really no. curious about it but Don't. um there are better films out there that you could be spending your time with right now so um i literally i came into this podcast i'm gonna be honest with you saying thinking that i was i was gonna abstain from rating it so i guess you got me on that one you just you i mean you basically kind of did you just gave it a shrug and gave it a five so i mean that's that's probably the closest thing you can get to not not rating it so fair enough um but yeah, the, fortunately, it has been a good year for A24 thus far um, between X and everything everywhere all at once, um, which is crushing um, and is on en route to being their biggest film ever. Um, it is in the U.S. Yeah. Um, That's today. That I, I'm not too bummed out about this misstep, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, I, I think, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, I, I haven't lost any faith in them, thankfully. Um, it was just, I mean, and I haven't lost a ton of faith of in in Alex Garland either. I still think he can make good films. Yeah, I mean, they have stuff like this every happened. year. I mean, Lamb was probably a big miss last year. I mean, we didn't see it and talk about it on the podcast, but I don't know. I feel like people didn't really care 
of that movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it was actually fairly well reviewed. But I mean, I guess Men has been fairly well reviewed too. Like, I mean, it's in the seventies, I think at least. It's it's gonna be a divisive movie. Like it just is. People some people mm-hmm. are really gonna like it. And that's fine. I hope I hope you do like it. Sure. I yeah. I agree with that. All right, Scott, that will do it for our review of Alex Garland's Men. Uh, We're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we have some new news about Bong Joon-ho's next film, um, as well as another new film having been announced starring Margot Robbie. I know it's hard to believe that she could possibly have time to do another film, but we're going to talk about that and some other news after the break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, uh, we have some casting news to talk about first, uh, and it involves Bong Joon-ho's follow-up to his Best Picture winning Parasite. I know you wanted to uh, to touch on this story, so tell us who the latest cast members are that have been added to this film. Yeah, I, I think that we had, I can't, we had reported on, on this before, right? I shouldn't say reported, but like we had talked about this film once already we on the broke podcast. the story that this we broke film it. was coming yeah. out. Yeah. I have an inside line to bong. Um <laughs> kidding. I think that we had talked about Robert Pattinson being the lead and Bong so. Jun Ho's next film, of which I believe there's pretty few details, but we do know that um at least in terms of story. But we do know that a few more people have been confirmed to be in the cast of this movie. Uh Scott absolutely absolute scenes in the in the Discord chat between us when I put this in because Mark Ruffalo is going to be uh, in the film along yes. with Tony, Tony Collette and Naomi Aki, who I'm not, how much more has Naomi Aki done besides rise of Skywalker? Right. She, she was in that. And then has she been yeah, probably something, stuff? probably something that we're not thinking about, but yeah, it doesn't seem like she's really, she's taken off. Like maybe you would have thought after rise of Skywalker. But also I mean, that movie. I wouldn't have expected anyone to take off from Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> well, yeah, I just mean from yeah. being cast in that movie. You know, it's a Star yeah, Wars yeah. movie. It's a big movie. Yeah, so th- th- they're joining the cast. Unclear what roles they're playing. I mean, the the film we do know the film is based on the novel called Mickey Seven, um, which I think we might have talked about last time. But um, it's a science fiction novel by Ed Ashton, I believe. Um, being pro- and the film is being produced by Brad Pitt, etc. No, re- I don't want to go back over the the plot, you know, of Mickey Seven again. But I'm excited. More importantly than what the film is about, um, you know, genre. I like sci-fi. I like Bong Joon-ho. I like Robert Pattinson. I like Robert, uh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo, and I like Tony Collette. So seems like things are adding up to be, um, you know, another Bong hit. Ao, yeah. I mean, I of course, like you said, I was very thrilled, particularly about Mark Ruffalo being cast in this. But Tony Collette has certainly had—I don't know if it's fair to say a comeback or not. I mean, I think she's at the biggest point in her career, probably to, to thus far, with you know, Hereditary being this huge breakout role for her, and you know, people talking about her getting Oscar um, consideration at the time as well. And, and that was four years ago nice. now, though, right? 
Knives Out, she was in, of course, yeah. in 2019. She's been in some big movies. Um, and I think she's, you know, a, a known name maybe now for the first time in her career. So um, cool to see her getting this the role. staircase but, right now on HBO Max. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. she is uh, in that. Uh, but yeah, Mark Ruffalo, I'm always going to be excited about what he he can do, especially when he's paired up with somebody of bonk skill. And yeah, Robert Pattinson as well in the lead, which we talked about before. From what I've seen, apparently there was like a very laborious casting process to cast this role. And Bong like was very exacting about who he wanted to play the role. And Robert Pattinson was like the person who he was like, this this is who it, who it needs to be. And look, so. it kind of makes sense. I mean, Pattinson is like played the Batman and he was Neil in Tenet. And this film is about a guy who goes on like, who is like called upon when there's like a suicidal mission that like, like some sort of private company or government needs him to do. So like he's carving out, he's carving out the type for himself here. He's carving out a niche. Yeah. I mean, he's also just, you know, one of the, we're going to talk about one of the it actresses right now in just a second, but um, he's one of the it actors for sure. Right now. I mean, he's sure his yeah. stock has never been higher after the Batman. And obviously Absolutely. he's got a lot of big movies still to come that he is going to be in as well. So um, yeah. Hey, cool. he and Timothy are, getting, are the boys right yeah. now. Bong's getting movie stars. You would expect this after, you know what parasite was able to do but i'm excited to see i mean yeah he, he even had but yeah chris evans in, in he did uh, that is true and snow yeah. Peter, maybe he wasn't know, as Ed big Harris a movie star back then but yeah. yeah no it's not it's not new for him but um you know it, people more eyes are definitely going to be on this film after what oh, 100 percent. yeah guy's got two oscars now he does i guess no one cares about Are, that anymore though yeah yeah. That was before the world that was the went before, away. Yeah. Before Will Smith yeah. won an Oscar after hitting someone on stage. Delegitimizing the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars have been delegitimized for years, let's be honest. Anyway, Scott, somebody who is angling for an Oscar, I think, um, is... <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Margot Robbie, um, who is in not one, not two, but three of this year's Oscar Maybe. contenders. Um, assuming they all come out, but yes. Yeah. Um, certainly, uh, Babylon, we know, is going to come out. That's Damien Chazelle's film. Um, I think it's pretty clear as well that Amsterdam, which is David O. Russell's new film, is going to be coming out. The one that is more of a question mark is Asteroid City, which is Wes Anderson's next film. Um, but she's in all three of these movies. And if they all come out in 2022, that is going to be... They're all, they're all going to be in, in the Oscar race. Um, and so you would expect her to be in the Oscar race. I say all that to say this, that... She's not done piling up her projects for the future. We also, of course, know that she's going to be in Barbie next year, which is going to be a big movie, we expect. Um, she has Pirates, this Pirates of the Caribbean series that was announced some time ago that um, has been, I think, confirmed that's happening. I, I don't think it's even started filming, so I don't even know if it's going to come out yeah. next year, but yeah. But anyway, it's something on the horizon for her. And she has a half dozen other movies that she's going to be in as well. Um, she is like like we were talking about with Robert Pattinson. She's one of the it stars in Hollywood right now, which I have no problem with. I think she's you know yeah. a fantastic actor. And it kind of I guess some it, of my favorite movies of the last. It kind of makes sense. I mean, she's like basically taken like it feels like she's taken two years off. Basically, I know she hasn't, but it feels like she has. Yeah, yeah, um, it yeah, it has been a minute, I guess. But I guess actually, um, even that movie, what was it? You you watched it, but like that was even filmed like 
before that was filmed years ago yeah Yeah. dreamland yeah she literally wasn't working during the pandemic basically yeah um that that is true Uh, but anyway she has another new project that is in the works uh jay roach yeah um director of austin powers and other broad comedies but more recently he's done sort of the adam mckay shift and he's made trumbo and bombshell to you know serious movies oscar type movies um obviously bombshell he worked with margot robbie and he's going to be working with margot robbie again on an oceans 11 prequel um scott we already had uh, a sort of oceans 11 offshoot just a few years ago with oceans 8 um which was a fine perfectly pleasant enjoyable film but nothing special certainly didn't capture the high of that original soderbergh um oceans 11 um and now jay roach is going to try his hand with margot robbie in making an oceans uh, 11 movie scott what do you think about this announcement um do we do you think we need this movie no if yeah, I, I don't no. either, but we're getting it. We are getting it, it seems. So operating under the assumption that we are getting it, do the names Jay Roach and Margot Robbie get you excited at all about this? I don't care about Jay Roach, I'll be honest. I couldn't care less about him. Bombshell was fine. Like, I thought that that movie was be- I mean, it was better than I expected. I expected it to be an absolute disaster, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as Vice or something like that. For sure. cert- no, certainly not. Um, But... Do, yeah, do it. Jay Roach doesn't. I don't care. Margot Robbie. Great. I mean, that's awesome. Like I said, I mean, I don't feel like I've seen her. Anything since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in which she didn't even have like she wasn't on the screen that much in that movie. Um, So I'm excited to see her in, in you know, these films. Like my impression is that like she's one of the main characters in Babylon. Um, She definitely West- is in Amsterdam as well. Right. Um, Wes Anderson's like always a bit of a weird one. Like, I don't really know what the vibe of the of Asteroid City is going to be because we know nothing about it. Um, So she may or may not have a significant role. I will say, like, it seems like when a new actor shows up in Wes Anderson movies, like in recent years, like somebody who's not usually in Wes Anderson movies. When I say new actor, that's what I mean. You're talking about they like, tend to have a main role. You think about like Jeffrey Wright last year had a pretty significant role in French Dispatch. You think about before that Brian Cranston, who had never been in a Wes Anderson movie, was one of like the main roles in Isle of Dogs. Um, that's I mean that's different. That's an so on and so forth. I, I take I, I mean, take your point. That's it's an still true though. Like I mean, you know, it's it's still one of the main characters, if not the main character. He voices Chief. So um, sure. I, anyway. Sure. I, I look Jeffrey Wright was still only in the French Dispatch for like 35 minutes. Uh, it's still that it was a major role for the for everyone the was only film. in the French Dispatch for 35 well, that's my minutes, point. But like, but yeah. I, like I'm talking about roles where you're on the screen for most of the movie. Um, I know that that film is it's impossible to be on the screen for most of that movie. I I'm just saying it's a potential clue that maybe she is going to be a significant role in Asteroid City. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, Ray Fiennes had never been in a Wes Anderson movie before Grand Budapest came out. I mean, you know. Tony Revolori hadn't either, but I, like, I, sure. I just think, yes, understood. Um, in a, in a cast that has all of his like regulars, it seems like I'm just curious how it shakes out. At the end of the day, um, maybe it's trending that direction, maybe not. But we'll find out. The point is, is that I didn't really mean to go down a huge tangent. Um, uh, I'm excited to see Margot Robbie in meteor significant roles, and I think even if, you know, she's only the main, like the lead in one of those three movies. Um, we're going to see a lot of her and I think we're going to be reminded why she is one of the, you know, it actors, it, it actresses in Hollywood right now. Um, 
I mean, she has a lot of clout, I think, in the industry. She's, you know, not only is she in a lot of movies, but she's making a lot of things, too, as a producer. So uh, I'm excited to see her back, frankly. And, you know, am I going to go see an Ocean's prequel? Sure. I mean, what does this even mean? It's a prequel. Is George Clooney going to, like, be de-aged in this thing? Like, what, what does that even mean? I don't know. I mean, yeah, the Jay Roach of it all. I will say I'm glad that he is maybe operating in some in, in more of his home ballpark with this type of movie and that he's not continuing down the road of, you know, of Adam McKay again. Yeah. <laughs> trying to make, quote unquote, important films. Um, but he is not Steven Soderbergh. Uh, he is not even close to Steven Soderbergh. And uh, I think, you know, for all the movie star energy that that first film had. It doesn't work for, without Steven Soderbergh, I don't think. I think he sure. he's a, he was the perfect director for that movie. Um, and with that being said, I mean, you know, you have Margot Robbie, right? You have somebody who nowadays is probably the equivalent of like what a George Clooney or Brad Pitt was at the time that Ocean's Eleven came out in terms of star power. Um, so it's a good start. Um, but, you know, these movies are about the crew. Who are you going to build around them? Who's going to be writing the film? Is Jay Roach going to be writing it? I don't know. But, um, you know, I think those will be important factors in whether this movie is ultimately going to be something worth our time or not. I mean, I, I agree that I don't think, like, just hearing that they're making a new Oceans movie, it's like, why? I think um, we know who's but, writing. I think Carrie Solomon. I think I think that was part of the article. Hey, I don't know who that is, but. Yeah, sure. neither do I. Um Maybe this will be their breakout. But anyway, I mean, assuming that this movie is actually a thing, it is coming out, which it seems to be, um, you know, like I said, it's a mixed bag. They have a good start in terms of actor, but I don't know. Okay, it's set in Europe in the 1960s, so maybe if it's a prequel, maybe it's like George Clooney's dad or something. I don't know. Danny's daddy. I mean, sure, we got his sister, I guess, in uh, in Ocean's 8. Well, there has to be some ocean in this movie, and I maybe maybe Margot Robbie's his mom. Maybe so. Uh, I'll, whenever I hear her name now, this is just a, a sidebar, but I can only think about Saoirse Ronan saying her name. There's a YouTube video where they're like interviewed together and she says her name. And I love the way that Saoirse Ronan says her name for some reason in the Irish accent. It's like Marga Robbie. Uh, it's like perfect the way she says her name. So now I only hear her name in that voice whenever I hear her name now. But anyway, uh, some deep it, Scott, Scott lore right here deep rabbit holes here but anyway exciting times coming up for margot robbie and uh, whether this film is one of the exciting things will remain to be seen but it is another project it's one of the least interesting projects that she has in the hopper right now probably i think that's that's fair to say um this year will be very interesting to see how it shakes out for her in you know two for sure and potentially three really uh big oscar movies maybe she'll get double nommed will she pull a double nom situation i don't know triple nommed. uh triple nommed would be pretty insane but west doesn't seem to be capturing the the academy certainly not in the performance department um anytime recently so okay well that'll do it for this episode of some like it scott we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. Even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And of course, we hope that you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing the return of Tom Cruise to cinemas near you. 
in Top Gun Maverick. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.